Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to thank you for joining us uh, again this week on the program and thank you for your faithful support in watching these programs. Like uh, those of you who follow us know that we build series and we have been in a series on Ezra and Nehemiah. I'm going to try to bring conclusion to that either this week or next week. But I wanted to come back again, and we finished talking to you last week about the Mithcad Gate, which was the place of judgment or the place of gathering, the muster gate. It was also the appointed place. It was the last gate uh, that was mentioned. And, uh, you know, when I... uh, when the camera cut away uh, last week on the program, I started looking at some notes for this week. And uh, I was reminded that the Mifkad gate also corresponded to the gate of Benjamin. Uh, and In other words, in the book of Revelation, the twelve gates of the city all had on them the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. But also in the names, uh, in the uh, let, let me read this to you from uh, Revelation 21, 14 through 18. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So the city that we're talking about is being built on a renewed apostolic doctrine. The, the apostles, the early apostles laid the foundation which no other foundation can be laid other than Jesus Christ. Anything that tells you there's another way in is a thief and a robber and is a false teaching and a false doctrine. There's only one way into the covenants of promise. That's not through Moses. That's not through any other gods. That's through Jesus Christ and the foundation built on His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Those things are the the key points of apostolic doctrine. But in the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb were in the foundation of this city. And I've already shared with you, I'm not going to go back and review, that the city of God is not a place, it's a people. It is the community of faith. It is the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he talked with me, he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof, and the city lieth four square. And the length of it is large as the breadth, and he measured the city with a reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth of it, of the height of it, are equal. And he measured the wall thereof 144 cubits. That's the number for overcoming. The Bible number 144,000 is the number of those that were sealed among the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb in Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 14. And to confirm that, Revelation 3 says, To him who overcomes, I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven. He goes on to say that 12,000 furlongs, the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like unto crystal. Now let me tell you that the jasper stone was the stone of Benjamin on the breastplate of the high priest. But the order here that is specifically mentioned, just as it was for the breastplate, therefore we are being asked to concentrate on the order as a matter of importance. 
Our focus is once again on just two of these stones, and we note that whereas jasper was the last in the breastplate, it is now the first in the foundation of the city of God. And so the whole principle here of the jasper stone and of Benjamin is that the last will be first and the first will be last. And we talked about last uh, week of the judgment and the great white throne judgment and the judgment seat of Christ not being in the future but being in the first century in AD 70 as the seats of the uh, uh, of the assessors and the judge were set in Jesus himself sat in judgment to divide the nations, the sheep and the goat nations, the believers and the unbelievers. That what happened was those who were first Jews became last and the last became first. Those who were excluded were brought in. I just wanted to, to mention that to you as we started in this series. Now we're about to come to a close with this. And uh, this whole series, and I don't know whether I can get done in this segment or not. If not, we'll do it in the next one. But I was really stirred this week in my thinking as I look at the condition of where we are at today in the church. And I see such a passive, uh, unengaging, half-hearted, uh, almost not really interested in the things of God. It is amazing to me that we are one year beyond the pandemic, or at least, you know, this is a, a, a full year has gone by. People have begun to go back to work, and it's amazing to me that you still can't hardly get people. I mean, they'll go to entertainment venues, they'll go to Walmart, they'll go to everything but church, and some of them don't want to go to work. <laughs> And so there's jobs everywhere. I've never seen a day when there are signs everywhere for people, for jobs. If I were literally in a position that I wanted to better my life, I, if I lived in a place where I never could have opportunity to get a job, I would go get a job before these people decide they're going to go back to work because they are offering some good jobs everywhere and signing bonuses. But I was reminded of the whole circumstance of Nehemiah and Ezra that the people have to get a mind to work. And so when I uh, got to thinking about this, and I'm thinking not works for righteousness, but works of righteousness. I think it was Paul who said, you know, uh, I labored more than you all, yet not I, but the grace of God was working in me. So the reality of it is, is there is a grace that I believe God wants to see come to the people of God to re-engage to the work of rebuilding. I believe that the church has been in digression, in Babylonian captivity, and in religious confusion long enough. And it is time that we hear the word of the Lord that I've been declaring through this series. It is a time to arise and build. And so when I started to thinking about that, of course, we've already shared with you how that when you arise and build, you're building something redemptive. And uh, the wall speaks of salvation, and the gates speak of praise. It is the place of protection, safety, and security. It should be something that we all ask for for our families. It is not the new normal to be in captivity. And Isaiah chapter 60, verse 18, he said, Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. But you shall call your wall salvation, and your gates shall be called praise. And so I want you to see that this wall speaks of something of protection. Your wall shall be called salvation. Your gates shall be called praise. 
Thank God that upon all the glory is a defense, that in the hour that we live in, that we must build a community of faith that is a city in which the King is glorified and a place where we can enter into His presence with protection from our enemies. And I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about the enemy of our soul. And so as uh, I started to think about this, the Lord began to stir me in Nehemiah chapter 4. It said, But it so happened that when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and became very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? And will they revive stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burnt? When you rise to build something redemptive, there's always opposition from without. Now, I, I think that to me, there's a lot of things that we could talk about with Sanballat, but I think even of the persecution, you know, this is for me 41 years of full-time mobile ministry, and I by no stretch of the imagination want to compare myself with some of the persecutions that have taken place over the years of many others, because the worst thing happens to us is somebody unfriends us on Facebook or they talk about us. But see, the enemy sometimes will try to slander you, and the enemy does not want to see you. In other words, as long as all you believe the gospel is about is getting your ticket and going to heaven and evacuation, you are no threat to the enemy. But the moment you decide to arise and build, people will start to mock you. Now, I, you know, uh, like I said, when I started preaching a, a lot of the gospel of the kingdom some years ago, a lot of people mocked it. Today, it is gaining ground like I've never seen before. And people are beginning to arise to say, listen, we have, we have seen so many failed prophecies of the end coming, and we're out of here until at least we are at a place where people are now considering there must be another alternative view of this. And I, I, I unapologetically preach a victorious eschatology. I believe we win. I believe the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. I believe the answer to the problems of our society lie within the city of God and the tabernacle of God that we are a part of the Reformation towards. It is the leaves of this tree that will heal the nations. It is from this city of God, the community of faith, that a river runs out of it that touches the nations and heals everything it touches. It is imperative that we arise and build and not listen to the remarks of the sand ballots of our day that would mock us and say, what are you doing? Do you think, you know, what do, you know, I think sometimes it's just the mockery of what, even the, trying to even uh, destroy your sense of value. What do these feeble Jews? And he asked three questions. Will they, first of all, what are these feeble Jews doing? Number one, we're building the city of God. Number two, he said, will they fortify themselves? I think that the issue here is the fortifying of ourselves means the building up of ourselves. When we come into a new covenant paradigm, everything is to be done to the use of edification or to the building up of something. So if I'm tearing you down constantly, I might be on sand balance side. But the truth of it is, is I want to fortify you and build you up. I want to say you need to be fortified and build up in your most holy folk praying in the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, the Nehemiah, whose name means the comforter, powerful picture of the Holy Ghost, 
becomes the governor of the city. Can I tell you, I believe that what God is wanting to do in this hour is to let the Holy Spirit become the governor in our lives and the governor in the church and the governor that brings the restoration and building us up. And that's what the Holy Spirit does is He edifies us every time we pray in the Holy Ghost. We build ourselves up on our most holy faith. The second thing He says is, will they sacrifice? And only you can answer that question. Are you willing to make the sacrifices it takes to build something redemptive? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? I believe that God is calling people. He's taking sometimes the most unusual people, sometimes people that have been rejected and you don't think there's any hope for. Lively stones that have been burnt many times, not only by the world, but even by religion that have been cast aside. God is taking the people that I think sometimes we have excluded and included them, especially as you start seeing in the New Testament, He includes both Jew and Gentile. But He's reviving the stones out of the heaps of rubbish, and I believe that there's a building process that's going on in the church today that is under edification. But you've got to ask yourself, are you willing to sacrifice for it? You know, I can't help but think as, uh, you know, my own journey that, uh, you know, uh, I started thinking of my own journey in the times that we spent Saturdays and we spent weekends uh, and we would spend time building churches and building, physically building churches and hosting youth camps. And sometimes it would get to be a labor. And I would think to myself, you know, boy, we just, we got to do this every week. But I tell you the truth, as I look back in history and I think even of how my family and my siblings were a part of all of that, is that here we are now many years later, and that must have worked pretty good because we still have a passion for Jesus, and we're still in the house of God, and we're still, we, our parents modeled to us how important it was to get our families in the house of God. You know, I really believe it's time, especially for men, to be leaders in their home. Don't send your wife and kids to church get up off of the couch, get out of bed on Sunday morning, lead your family, come to the house of God. Because while we were doing these things, you know, like building churches, we were literally doing life together. While we were faithful to the house of God midweek, Sunday, we don't have nearly the services we used to. But my mother would get seven kids and take us to church. And today I sometimes hear people talking about, well, you know, we can't come because we've got kids. And I'm thinking, well, that's where we raised you at was in the house of God. And, you know, don't use that as an excuse because sometimes we give priority to everything but that. We'll let them stay up a little later for an event. We'll take them to do this, but we'll make them brush their teeth or make them do their homework, but we don't want to make them go to church. But I believe as we model something that's going to build something redemptive, and even as they built the walls, it would say, and the family of so-and-so built this section of the wall, and the family of so-and-so built this section of the wall, let me say to you apostolically and prophetically, find your family on the wall and build something redemptive. Will you fortify? Will you sacrifice? Will you make an end in a day? You know, uh, uh, will you listen to the words of Sanballat that always gives you an excuse to discourage you 
in, in the overwhelming process of the building of this house and reviving it out of stones of uh, rubbish and, and the heaps of rubbish. And you know, uh, one of the things that I think was overwhelming to them that discouraged them was that they uh, literally uh, had worked on it to it. The job was so overwhelming, they just thought, you know, this is just way over our heads. And the people became weary. And so, you know, there had to be a corporate effort while one would hold the sword and the other would work. And there had to be people that begin to share the burden. You know, I think as I was sharing in Father's Day at our church, uh, my pastor and I literally sat down on chairs and talked to the congregation. But I, I was thinking how, you know, so many times my wife and I have said, you know, as we've gotten older and the years that we put in, especially in youth camp and and stuff like that. We keep saying, you know, I don't know how long I can keep doing this. We're getting older and it's a, you know, a lot of the older ones are working and uh, they're doing, but they're just not able to do it anymore. And it's a challenge in a time and a season when I believe it's time to challenge the next generation to step up and to help to serve because it's, it's just, it's, it has gotten so wearying. You know, in most every church that I know of, there's a handful of people who serve and do and the rest of them seem to just come to enjoy the events, but they never engage in helping in the work of the building of this. And so I'm challenging us to do what Nehemiah said, and the people had a mind to work. I'm praying that God gives us a mind to work and that we begin to realize it is time to hold up each other's hands and serve in all kinds of capacities, all kinds of gifting, not just on the stage in front of people, but in the kitchens in the building programs, in the serving and the ushering, and all that's involved in the building of the house, and not just while we're in church. But you know, one of the things that my wife said to me not long ago is, you know, when one of our last youth camps before all this pandemic hit, and she said, you know, when I see my grandchildren and my children getting filled with the Holy Spirit, standing in front of the altars with tears running down their faces, receiving from God, not from a message of condemnation and guilt. She says, I think to myself, I can do one more year. And uh, so you start to encourage yourself and start seeing the purpose behind it is in the building of the walls. And you know, uh, the enemy will bring all kinds of conspiracies, all kinds of stuff to distract us. And you know, uh, I, I think it's time, though, that we engage the next generation and get them a mind to work. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that we must become spiritual leaders in our homes and our schools. And, and we must even pay attention to what our children are being taught in the schools because the curriculum of this generation will become the policies of government in the next one, I think is what one president said one time. So I believe the building of this house and the building of this city is so very important as the people get a mind to work and we begin to make up the hedge and we begin to, you know, fill in the gaps. You know, one of the things that I think happens is that uh, the slander, uh, distractions come to try to discourage people and all kinds of rhetoric. There's a flood that comes out of the dragon's mouth to try to get you discouraged, try to get your hope deferred, try to get you to stop in what you've been going through and what you've been putting your hand to, because sometimes it doesn't seem like anything is panning out. But you know, I thought while I was thinking about this, that Ezra uh, chapter 4 says this, and this is from the Message Bible. It said, So these people started beating down the morale of the people of Judah. 
If there's ever been a season when there's been an, an attempt of the enemy to build down our morale, I have struggled myself, and I've seen pastors struggle through times of depression as we've looked at empty churches, and we've looked at, you know, struggles in finance, and we've looked at, are the people going to come back? And sometimes it's hard to keep your own morale up as you look at, at, at some of the stuff that's going on in our country and around. It says, but the people started beating down the morale of the people of Judah, harassing them as they built. Watch this. They even hired propagandists to sap their resolve. They kept this up for about 15 years through the lifetime of Cyrus, king of Persia, and on into the reign of Darius. You know, so the, the you know, sometimes I think even the distraction of all of the possible propaganda conspiracies. If you get on Facebook and you've got a following like I've got, you will see every kind of conspiracy you can imagine. Some of it may be true, some of it may not be. Everything from, you know, the, the vaccine is the mark of the beast, to QAnon, to who the president is, yada, 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 to the place where at, when you're done, you don't know what to believe. Let me tell you what you need to do is shut off the TV, shut off the Facebook page, get in the Word of God, ask the Holy Spirit because He won't lie to you. Because all the propaganda and all the stuff that's coming from a dragon's mouth is trying to sap your resolve from arising to build the house of God. But I believe the people are going to get a mind to work. I believe we're going to get like Ezra uh, who said, man, you know what? Uh, I'm doing a great work. And Nehemiah who said, I'm doing a great work. I refuse to be distracted. I'm not coming down off of this wall. The people began to see uh, uh, the enemies, Tobiah, uh, Ammon, the Ammonite, and uh, um, uh, these guys that were hindering the work, Sanballat, they were hindering the work to try to stop and, and, and hinder the work of God. But as they began to uh, build the wall, it began to be a threat to them. And uh, it said uh, that they began to look and they, uh, uh, they began to see, see people discouraged and the enemies continued to release propaganda against them, even if a fox goes up. Uh, it, this won't stand up, that it's not going to work, and it's just too much for us. But in Ezra, but in, the, in Nehemiah, he says, But hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads, and give them as plunder to the land of the captivity. Do not cover their iniquity, and do not let their sins be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders of the wall. So we built the wall, and the entire of the wall was joined together to the half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being built and the gaps were being closed, they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and to create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God and because of them we set a watch against them by day and night. And Judah, then Judah said, the strength of labors is failing. There is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. There is so much junk and clutter and stuff. I think it's time to get rid of the junk and the clutter, even in religion. We've got so many trappings and so many gimmicks. It's time to get rid of the rubbish. That's what's got people wore out. We need to streamline our programs, find out what is important, what is not important, and our adversaries said they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause this work to cease. 
And so it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore I positioned men in the, behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings and set people according to their families with swords and spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the, neighbor, to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your house. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of them returned to the wall, everyone to his work. And so it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears and short shields and bows and whole armor. And the leaders were behind all the house. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. Everyone of the builders had his sword at his side as he built, and one who sounded the trumpet was beside him. Then I said to the nobles and to the rulers of the rest of the people, The work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another. Whatever you hear, the sound of a trumpet rallying to us, for our God will fight for us. When you hear the sound of a trumpet, listen, I'm sounding a trumpet. It's time for us to begin to gather and work together as a team. It's time to stop all the rhetoric. It's time to start stop all the flood and the propaganda, all the doctrines that are foolish genealogies that gender strife, and it's time to get back on the wall and build something. When the enemy saw that they were building, they began to say this to him. They said, listen, if these people ever finish this, they will stop paying tribute, they will stop paying taxes, and they will stop serving the king who is the enemy. I think one of the biggest reasons why the enemy is trying to discourage us is because once we get something built redemptive, we will stop supporting evil. Let me just say this, what you don't support goes away. That means both your local church and it also means evil. If you don't support your baseball team, it goes away. If you don't support your local church, it goes away. If you don't support evil and you don't support the, the agendas of darkness, it goes away. What you don't support goes away. It's time for us to get on the wall, stop all the distractions, get a mind to work, fortify ourselves, and begin to build the city of God we must begin to arise and hear a trumpet sound and begin to find our place on the wall, whether it's carrying a sword. I believe there's a place even where our seniors who felt like they're disenfranchised and don't have a place. I'm going to tell you, I so value the prayer warriors that I know from my prayer partners that are praying for us. You're holding the sword. You're guarding my back while I'm building the wall. Those of you who are in finance and you give and you support ministry and you send to, that helps us on the wall. Those of you who are singers, those of you who serve, all of those are vital pieces, but find your place on the wall, get a mind to work, and let's arise and build the city of God and His glory shall be a defense. We are out of time. I hope you've enjoyed this series on Nehemiah. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to give and support this and be a part of this building, go to the website. There's a place where you can give via credit card or debit card at our PayPal area. It'll, let, it'll get, let you give it via credit card there. You can also call the number on the screen. Uh, they'll take your credit card, or you can send a check or money order to the address that will come up on the screen. Become a partner with us today. Prayerfully consider joining us on the wall as we build something redemptive. God bless you.
I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.